Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello again, y'all, and welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we are systematically unfolding what the scripture teaches regarding what many of us sometimes find to be hard to understand theological topics. But we believe what A.W. Tozer said, I think no one can become a strong Christian who is not a theologian of some sort, but is altogether possible to be a theologian and not be a Christian at all. And we're always working hard here at Kitchen Table Theology to help make you a biblically sound theologian who is a follower of Christ. In today's podcast, we are working our way through something. Pastor Jeff, why don't you remind us what that is before we get started? We've already started this (laughs) to examine 33 things that happen to the Christian at the moment of salvation. And uh, I said this last time, but in the mid-90s, I ran across this eight-volume set of books called Systematic Theology by Dr. Lewis Berry Schaefer. Which just sounds like a real page-turner. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not... Well, it is nighttime reading because <laughs> it could not be out, but, but it's, a, it's an incredible resource. And, and in the middle of the third volume, he has this sub, subheading called The Essential Character of God's Undertakings. And then before you even know what's happened, he, he's listed 33 works of God that happen at the moment of salvation, and he calls them the riches of divine grace. And he explained that these things aren't experienced as much as they are applied to us. And they're, they're not progressive. They're instantaneous and they're entirely unrelated to anything you or I can do for our salvation, which is nothing other than sin. So, you know, there, there's nothing of us in any of these things, and they're eternal in their character. They're known only by revelation, that is, by and through the Word of God. And they are brought about in our lives by God alone, and our fingerprints aren't anywhere near them. So the more we understand and see the depth of what Christ has accomplished for us, the better we can live for Him, the better we can worship Him. And so, Lord willing, we'll be reminded of or even discover 33 things that happen at the moment of salvation. That's kind of where we're going with all this. Great, great. Thank you for that reminder. And we'll remind people that as we have have jumped into this, we discovered that we've already covered some of these 33 topics in previous podcasts. We want to give people kind of a reference point for that. So here are a few. At salvation, among the many things that instantaneously occur, we are redeemed. We are reconciled to God through Christ and the shocking reality of propitiation is applied to us. And we've already talked about these topics right here on Kitchen Table Theology. So if you want to go back and refresh your memory or maybe you just jumped in with our podcast now, perhaps you haven't heard these yet. So check them out. Propitiation is episode 49. Redemption is episode 51. And reconciliation is episode 59. So already this next season isn't going to last for 33 episodes. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. We'll be concise. And today we're going to jump in. Exactly. And today we're going to jump into something that happens instantaneously for us at Salvation. Another one. And that is forgiveness. So Pastor Jeff, kick us off. You know, and we may have covered forgiveness, but I didn't find it anywhere. And there will be other ones out of these 33 that 
Yeah, so we're these. This isn't going to last for thirty three podcasts. Well, as far as I'm concerned, we can't cover forgiveness enough. <laughs> yes, and I totally had you in mind for this. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, well, let's start perhaps with a story. I, I love stories, and I love telling stories. And in Richard Hofler's book called Will Daylight Come, he prov- provides a very simple picture of how sin enslaves us and how forgiveness frees us. So the story is about a little boy visiting his grandparents, and he's given his first slingshot. Now, every little boy, man, loves to have a slingshot. So he got his first one. So he got some pebbles and rocks, and he went out, and he trained in the woods, and he practiced, but he was never able to hit anything he was aiming at. You know, you'd, you'd set up sticks, or you'd set up cans, and he, he couldn't hit a thing. So he's kind of dejected, and he's walking back to his grandmother's house, and he sees her pet duck as he's walking up through the the backyard. And on impulse, he just pulled that slingshot back and he let it fly. And the stone hit the duck and he killed the duck. So he panicked and desperately he grabs that dead duck. He hides it in the wood pile only to look up and see his sister watching. She had seen it all, but said nothing. Now, if you've ever had a sibling, you know where this is going, right? So after lunch that day, Grandma said to his sister, whose name was Sally, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the duck. So so Johnny did the dishes. So later the grandfather asked the children if they want to go fishing. And the grandmother said, well, I'm sorry, but I really need Sally to help me make supper. Sally said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered to him, remember the duck. And so he stayed back and helped grandma with supper while she went fishing. And after several days of this going on, Johnny was doing his chores. He was doing Sally's chores and she's just totally blackmailing him. Finally, he couldn't stand it anymore. And he he confessed to his grandmother that he had killed her duck. And his grandmother said, I know Johnny gave him a hug. She says, I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. And because I love you, I forgave you. I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. Mm. What a great story. What a terrible story. Did you ever kill a duck? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you, you, your, your heart's no, going to go right to the dead duck. I did have an evil little sister. I did have an evil little sister that had a little laugh like that. That was just kind of like, hey, hey, hey. So I could definitely see that happening. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, oh. Grandma, here, here's the point of the story is not the duck, Jen. The point of the story is, Grandma forgave him when he killed the duck, and, and it was a spontaneous, instantaneous forgiveness. And that's what happens. You know, that's a pale picture, let's be honest. But that's that's what happens at the moment of our salvation. So I think the key verse here for us would be Colossians 2.13. So, Jen, how about reading that one for us? And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh— he made you alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. So Christ canceled at salvation the legal claims against the Christian. So, and he did that through the cross. And Paul says, and when you. So these two words express great emphasis. You know, you and only you basically is what he's saying. The, these words emphasize our relationship not our function. The purpose of those words is to make every believer sense that they are 
in the plan of God with God. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a part of God's eternal plan. And we looked at that in our last podcast. You are just as much in the program as any other person who ever lived who, who came to Christ. And and some believe that you say you're just as much a part as, as anyone else. But I do know that some believe uh, that clergy are the first class Christians and the lay people, us lowly people, are second class. So it just makes me think of, you know, when we are working on the creative team and you're getting ready to come out and give the message and we're setting up your table and we're pulling out your chair. Perhaps you are one of those people that consider the clergy to be just a little bit higher than the rest of us folks. You're really going to take that shot at me right now? <laughs> oh, my no, word. But in all seriousness, what I hear you saying, regardless of what other people believe, what I hear you saying that this verse is teaching us from God's point of view, which is the important point of view, that all Christians are equal in God's plan and his provision, regardless of giftedness or provision, because there's no such thing as clergy and lay people in the Bible, right? So to some, the clergy are unique and everyone else is a peon, (laughs) but this is not true. Everyone is in full-time service in God's plan. Well, now that you've you've taken these shots, I I feel like maybe I should quit the ministry. But at the very least, I'm going to carry out my own table this week. <laughs> that thing's heavy. I don't that think you should. No, it's very heavy. Well, you know, we 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 do sort of tend to classify believers that way. I think some people think I think you know that they think that way is what I'm trying to say. That mm-hmm. there's us, and then there's clergy or missionaries, or pastors, and me being part of that latter group that we're put up on this higher shelf and nothing could be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Which has multiple problems, but that's something else we could talk about at another time because I want to go down another rabbit trail. Oh, have we already <laughs> been down one rabbit trail? <laughs> I think. Yeah, oh, let's, go down an, let's go down another one. So you recently spoke, very prestigiously so, at your... Alma Mater's Seminary and Graduate School Commencement. Congratulations. You did a fantastic job. You got just a lovely hat that looks wonderful on your your head. I'm sure that you've taken it home and paraded around the kitchen so that your lovely wife, Darlene, can see you. I slept in it on uh, the first night, yeah. You got that honorary doctorate of divinity. So there you go. Maybe you are at a higher rank. So here's your... Here's your point that you are uh, couching in sarcasm, I think. <laughs> no. So, so having a divinity degree doesn't make anyone any extra special in God's eyes. And that's so very, very true. We're, we're all equal uh, before him, all equal at, at the cross. And that brings us back to forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's a great point. We, we all receive forgiveness only because of what Christ has done for us. And when we repent of our sins and turn wholly and entirely to Jesus for forgiveness, he grants it to us. And and he justifies us rather than charging us with with sin. And all the condemnation that was due us was laid upon Jesus on the cross. And, And that's the point, that it's just such amazing that such complete forgiveness is possible only on the ground of Christ's work. Nothing we've done in being our sin bearer. 
Yeah, you're turning into quite the theologian here, Jen. The the fancy hat guy is trickling down his wisdom. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's move on. So, in that verse you read, it mentioned of being being dead in your trespasses. So, being dead is death spiritually, not physically. Before we receive forgiveness in Christ, we were dead to God by existing in a state of violating His standards. That's where we lived. And that is the persistent predicament of the lost. But it is the past of the child of God. So those who are presently in their sin, that's that's how they're living in their sin. But for the child of God, it's in their past. So instead of being dead to God, the Christian is alive to God. Instead of being dead in trespasses, the believer is dead to trespasses. Being dead, that word being indicates our status quo of death. Mm. Spiritually, non-Christians are in the status quo of spiritual death. Unbelievers are outside God's eternal plan for salvation right now, and they're right now personally out of step with God. And the word death means separation. And this is important. It does not mean annihilation. It means separation. Before we came to know God, we were cut off from God spiritually. So spiritual death means one is dead personally to God. So we really cannot pray as as we ought. We, you know, that the spiritually dead person cannot please God. He clearly can't measure up to the standards of who God is. The spiritually dead person has no capacity for knowing God. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the, the spiritually dead person has nothing by which he or she can even know God. And I noticed, too, that that Colossians verse uses that word trespass. And I don't think that's a word I use every day in conversation. And I don't think we hear it a whole lot outside of maybe the Lord's Prayer, which you always wait when you're saying the Lord's Prayer as a group. Who's going to say trespass and who's going to say dead or debtors? (laughs) But can you unpack that word a little bit for us? Yeah, I think whenever we only hear of trespass, it's about somebody going on property that they're not allowed to be on, you know. You know, and uh, yeah, you're right. Trespass is to cross or violate a standard. And so we understand that regarding property. I go hunting sometimes, and if land is posted, no trespassing, you're not allowed to cross or violate the property line. So non-Christians have stepped across God's standards. They're in violation of God's standards, and they are in the status of really defiling even God's character. So that's that's what trespass that word means. And I think that phrase should it should really throw us. I think this is one of those things that whenever we run across it in the Bible and automatically think, "Whoa, I should should stay away from that." I have I have no idea what it means, but I'm going to that I'm going to steer clear of it because it doesn't sound good. Yeah, so that following phrase you're talking about, why don't you remind us of what that says? Yeah, it's this idea of, ugh, I even hate how it sounds, the uncircumcision of your flesh. And we discover another word that Jen doesn't like to say, the word mm, flesh. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I do not. It's not one of my favorite words. <laughs> you, you have some real problem with the Bible sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. I don't. I do not have a problem with the Bible. I have a problem with word choice sometimes. Some but there's lots of words that I love in the Bible. But we should find maybe another translation that doesn't use the word flesh. Ooh, maybe. 
that would make you happier. Well, that would make me happy. <laughs> yeah, the uncircumcision of the flesh yeah, is it, not something I know. It's not something I often address on Sunday mornings for sure. So, so what is Paul talking about here? He, he's saying non-Christians' nature is uncircumcised or separated from God. So, uncircumcision spiritually describes our state of being before we came to know Christ. It's pretty simple. We were dead to God in our state when we believed that the cross sort of circumcised our violation of God. God put us in proper relationship to himself. But the corrupt moral condition of the desires of this sin capacity that we have, that that still operates in the believer. But what Paul's saying is before God, we are in violation of God in principle. And, And just so we're clear, the word uncircumcised refers to both males and females. We all have these fallen sin capacities. Okay. So that word capacity, let me, let me talk through this and I'll personalize it. So in my pre-Christian state, the capacity I had to sin undermined my ability to live before God. I had to flee to the cross and depend on Christ to live a Christian way of life, that capacity. Yep. That's exactly right. So all of that, you know, maybe we've already forgotten about today's topic. It's on forgiveness and we haven't said a whole (laughs) lot about forgiveness, but it's, this is all the stuff that Christ de- dealt with on the cross, and then he brought us forgiveness. So all of that, as terrible as it is, we're violating God's standard, we're this, we're that. That's what had to be forgiven. So Paul wraps up that verse by saying, he has made us alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So the, the two words, having forgiving, that, that's one word in the Greek. It means a forgiveness as a result of grace. It means forgiveness as an act of love. It it means to bestow a favor unconditionally. And the favor bestowed unconditionally here is the remission of debt against God. I love that word remission. We don't say it often, but it's a wonderful word. Remission means the cancellation of a debt, of a charge, or of a penalty. So that that is the act of forgiveness. And God does it in his mercy and in his sovereignty, but he gives us this unconditional favor or grace whereby he cancels the debt we owe, the charge against us, the penalty that we should have incurred. He in his grace forgives us. And it says God forgives all trespasses, all, not some. So that that mm-hmm. helps us sleep at we, we we never truly rest until we find our, our rest in Christ. And that rest in Christ comes because we are completely and wholly forgiven. And that really brings us back to where we started in talking about this this great volume of work that we're called or are called the divine or the riches of divine grace. And we will really never understand the fullness of that grace until we understand the fullness of our sin or our sin capacity. So, um, yeah, man, what a great topic to dive into today. Any closing thoughts? No, I think you just summed it up really, really well. We just put a bow on it. Because (laughs) of the cross, we are completely holy, totally forgiven. Debts are canceled. Period. Penalties are paid. Amen, amen, and amen. 
Amen and amen. Well, amen. And thank you to all of you who have joined us in today's topic. We'll be back next week with another exciting attribute that we are given at the moment of salvation. And we want to say thank you as always to everyone for listening here at Kitchen Table Theology. And if you haven't yet done this, hit like or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening from if you want to hear more. And kindly rate us and leave us a review. And don't forget to check out today's episode show notes and go back and review some of those other episodes that we mentioned here for some of those other 33 things that happen at the moment of salvation. We want to also give a shout out. Our episodes are edited and sound designed by Danny and her team at Streamline Podcast. And you can find out more about their work at StreamlinePodcast.com. And don't forget to head over to JeffCranston.com for more information about Dr. Cranston his fancy hat, his books, his sermons, his leadership notes, and blog post. Join us next week as we talk about adoption. And now there you go. Go deeper. And until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.